Hey everyone, welcome to episode 118 of the End Focus podcast. I'm your host Andy Corrigan. With me, as always, is Andrew Brown. Hello. Uh, and they came back for more. Tori Wassena in second episode in a row. How are you? Yeah, came back for more. Ready and willing. <laughs> uh, so this week we're gonna talk about the Animal Crossing update, which went live this week. Uh, gonna talk a little bit about Chroma Squad. Uh, Andrew's bringing a hardware review for the fixture S1, uh, so you can play your Switch portably with the Pro Controller, and uh, Tori's going to talk about Min Min in Smash. Yeah. So with that, let's jump into the latest Switch news. Okay, so the only real Switch news this week is that Animal Crossing had its uh, summer update, which is a winter update for us down under. Uh, so this adds swimming in the ocean and diving, uh, a new Critopedia page because you could uh, dive to catch things, and that's pretty much it really. Before we talk about the update itself, I, I, I figure we should talk about the trouble I had with the update, which I don't, I don't think was pretty common. But uh, the update downloaded fine. Uh, when you boot it up, it goes to update your save so it's compatible with the update. And then my copy of Animal Crossing hard crashed during that process, and then the game would not boot at all. So uh, Andrew reminded me that there was a option to correct corrupt data for software uh, in the uh, Switch's system menu. So I, I found that, ran, ran that, and it found corrupted data. My panic was that my save was going to be balked because of the timing of that hard crash. So I did, I did the re-download as it suggested. It was a nervous 26 minute wait, uh, but thankfully my island lives on. I shudder to think at the rage quit I would have had had my island not survived that process. Thankfully it did, so I think uh, Andrew was advising people based on my experiences to check their games for corruption before booting it after the update. I think that's probably a good idea for anything that doesn't have uh, Nintendo Cloud saves. By default, that's something I'm probably just going to start doing, because <laughs> I don't want to live that 26 minutes ever again. But thankfully, Anfield Island still exists, uh, and I've been diving into the new content. <laughs> Andrew, you're a bit of a completionist with this sort of stuff. Did you cry internally at the new Critopedia page, or did you... Well, were you happy about it? I definitely cried, especially since I'm in the Northern Hemisphere, and July added, like, 20 new things to catch. And so I spent most of the past week just trying to fill those things out. And then this update landed, <laughs> and it added... 40 new things, I think, to catch out in the ocean in the diving which I've barely done. Like The day the patch came out, I did one little loop around my island, and that got me about a dozen new things to donate to the museum. Uh, but I'm waiting for guides to come out on when you can catch everything rather than, you know, grinding. I've been jumping in every day, and I just do a little lap of the island until my pockets are full. I thought I had everything I could get at the moment, but I did have one creature that was playing hard to get and I had to chase around the water, like, pretty much around the whole island. Uh, and that turned out to be a lobster, and I didn't realize they were so well. mobile. Everything else has just been nice and stationary. Yeah, Tori, have you jumped into this one? Not yet. Uh, I wanted to have, like, a good chunk of time to just sit down and explore it all. Uh, there's, I mean, there's not much to it, but, uh, yeah, it is fun. Um, and I'm finding when you get the doubles you can't give mm. to bladders uh, it's more profitable than fishing okay i thought it was kind of lame actually <laughs> uh, when i did it i was underwhelmed i was like this is it just really slow swimming and you can dive down and grab things where there are bubbles and like am i supposed to do this every day like how often does pascal appear i don't know um, like I said, I'm waiting for guides to come out for this whole new feature. I, I'm in that camp where I do wish it was a bit quicker. The swimming is, is very slow. So I'm, I'm hoping there's some yeah. sort of uh, you know flippers accessory you can get at some point that might speed it up a little. Uh, this is definitely something that I'm going to grind out the recipes Pascal can get you, and I'm going to grind out catchables for the museum, and then I'm never going to touch this feature again because <laughs> it's just so... It's so slow. 
Yeah, I'm I'm happier that I'm earning more money from this than fishing because that's something I haven't done in weeks, to be honest. And I probably should because I think I'm still missing a couple of things from uh, our seasonal shift down here. We should talk about how the uh, the swimming works. You have to buy a swimsuit. You can get that either from the the Nook shopping app or you can get it in Nook's cranny in the tools cupboard. And you can buy a fancy one as a, a special good, so I've got a leaf print one now. Uh, it just sort of takes up one of your your tool slots, but I'm, I'm kind of, because it's a wearable, I'm glad it doesn't like overwrite what you're wearing at the time, and you can take it off and not have to get dressed all over again, because that's uh, one of my big bugbears with one of the uh, Nook Miles rewards, where you have to go change your appearance, and it's like, oh, now I have to go put my custom top back on again. Oh, here with the wand. Yeah, I hate how the wand treats the outfits as well. Like, it's like you're not wearing them, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> but I'm, I'm having fun hunting out the new, the new creatures for Plothers and, and that sort of thing. How are we going with our islands otherwise? Tori, you're not playing it at the moment. Andrew, any update on yours? Uh, I'm almost done with my island terraform. I just have to do a lot of decorating to get my mm. island up to five stars now. Really where my focus is now is on finishing the Critterpedias because I, I got to looking at it the other day and I realized I'm, I'm actually almost done. I've got almost mm. all the fish and all the bugs. Uh, I wasn't really focusing on it. It just it just kind of happened. So now, now I really am focusing more on making sure I have everything before it, it disappears until the next time they reappear in, in months or next year or however long that takes for that yeah. to happen. I've never done that in an Animal Crossing game before. I would like to, to finish all that stuff. Yeah, I don't do nearly enough fishing in this game, and I just sort of wait for CJ to appear as like my uh, inspirator to start doing it. <laughs> I only do it to catch fish I don't have yet. Otherwise, I don't like the fishing in Animal Crossing. Mm. It hasn't changed in 20 years. <laughs> I would rather have a fishing minigame like, like is in Stardew Valley, where it's more skill-based, Versus just, you know, dropping something in front of a fish, then the hardest thing is actually getting the damn fish to face the stupid bobber. Uh, and that's funny because I've never heard anyone say anything positive about Stardew's fishing mechanic before. <laughs> They're all wrong. I love the fishing in that game. Uh... I'm aware that I'm the only person who likes the fishing in Stardew Valley. I don't care. I think it's a good mini game. Uh, so I think that's it for that update, really. Um, unless you had anything to add, Tori? No, not yet. <laughs> Hopefully next time. Yeah, we'll check in with you later. Uh, okay, so with that, let's move on to uh, what we've been playing in the last week. Okay, so first up, I uh, finished the Mutant Year Zero DLC, Seed of Evil. Uh, so I I did like the base game quite a bit more than, than Andrew did when he played it. Uh, I think this DLC is uh, is pretty decent. It's uh, it's kind of more of the same, but it's got a, a nice little spin on some of the enemy types and some of the situations with the uh, seed pods that uh, can spawn in enemies if you don't take care of them. That adds a new dynamic to it once you've uh, engaged and alerted all the enemies on a map. Now, I remember you saying, Andrew, that I, I would, have had, would have to play differently. I found I was still able to sort of weed out some of the problematic units first before causing a war. It was only really that last mm. level, which was kind of more of a boss fight anyway, uh, that really caused me any issues. I don't know. <laughs> I think it was just that, that stealth element, like I would just wait and see and just like really scope it out and see what uh, walking patterns were and isolate that way. All I know is if I shot something, then the central plant thing would alert everybody else on the map. I don't know. I don't know how you got away with it. Yeah, I was able to take out a couple, and then uh, <laughs> they, they were like really far away from the groups. But yeah, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed it overall. I thought that was a a good spin and a nice little add on to, to the base game. And I'm glad it actually gave it a proper happyish ending compared to the base game because that that was a bit depressing but <laughs> uh yeah I, li I liked it overall i thought it was pretty good and uh with that out of the way i've been playing other turn-based games but we'll talk about those shortly uh andrew you backed some hardware on was it kickstarter 
It was on Indiegogo. Ah, yeah, it was one of them. Uh, and it is called The Fixture S1. So what's that about? I don't think that I'm going to be offending too many people when I say that the Joy-Cons suck. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I like them. You know, I, I like them too. I defend them, but there are many problems <laughs> with them. But I think the cross pad is amazing. I would rather play with the cross pad than with the D-pad. Fight me. The Joy-Cons have a lot of problems. Like uh, some people, they really, they just can't work with the small buttons or even just how mm. small the Joy-Cons are. I've talked with several yeah. people who just don't even play on the Switch because they just can't get on with how small the Joy-Con controller is, which I, I I feel sad for them, but I also understand where they're coming from. But the biggest problem with the Joy-Cons, I feel, is the joysticks. Uh, they drift. The drifting problem is well known at this point, and I, I think it speaks to the incredible goodwill that people feel towards the Switch that joy-con drifting hasn't been just a massive scandal for nintendo you know people complain about the wii u but you know at least the wii u's hardware worked they, they formally apologized for the drift issues this week i think yes they did yeah the president did so, yeah. uh but the joysticks they're hard to move with precision especially very small slight movements especially when you're playing handheld because you have to support the entire weight of the system in addition to moving the joysticks just very slight nudges which it just doesn't work very well this makes some genres especially difficult to play with the joy cons especially first person shooters and uh twin stick shooters the trick is to turn on motion aiming but not everybody including myself gets on with motion aiming very well my my instinct is always to just immediately turn it off so i i never have really learned to actually use it as well as i should i, I need to do that mm -hmm. some days just play through a shooter with the motion aiming on and just just adjust to it because it does work well once you learn how to do it into this situation comes the fixture s1 which is a plastic cradle that clips to your pro controller and it has a mount attached to the top of it that you can attach your Switch console to using the Joy-Con attachment sliders. And this is the pitch that Fixture Gaming, who manufactures this device, put on their Indiegogo page. When holding the Switch with Joy-Cons, your wrists are externally rotated. Your arms must be held in a partially contracted position, supporting the weight of the Switch and the controller. Over time, this unnatural position becomes uncomfortable, resulting in cramping, numbness, fatigue, or other issues. By comparison, we designed Fixture S1 to play to the strengths of the Pro Controller. The assembly is easy to hold, keeping your arms in a natural, neutral position so you can play comfortably for as long as you like. And, you know, that's, that's an advertising pitch, so you got to take a lot of it with a grain of salt. But I was sold on it, based on what I read. Uh... I backed this last September, I think, close to a year ago now. Manufacturing issues due to COVID-19 made it, so I got it much later than I was supposed to, but it finally came in this past week. And this is the reality of playing with the Fixture S1 as I've experienced it. Another reason it took me so long to get it was their first batch were 3D printed, so they were much cheaper, and a lot of the videos online with early reviews of it or with the 3D printed version and it's a good product in theory but you can tell just by looking at it the problems that arise including people have posted images of the clip to the controller just popping right off or other parts of the mount just twisting and breaking right off because it's 3D printed. Uh, I chose to wait for the factory-produced versions, which are made with real parts, direct from China, cha-ching. I'm pretty happy with the, the quality of the factory-produced, which is all that they're selling now. So if you do get your hands on one of these, this is what you're going to be getting. Now, playing with the Joy-Cons attached, I've kind of gotten used to how heavy the Switch feels. Uh, so now that I'm playing with the Fixture S1, with the Switch console attached to the mount on the Pro Controller, it actually feels even heavier, because uh, I think it's because I'm putting all the weight on top of the controller instead of holding it between my hands. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, as a result, you know, even though in the pitch, one of the things they mentioned was fatigue and numbness, uh, I still experienced several times where my hands were falling asleep. But <laughs> I have a hard time complaining because I am playing with better joysticks. Another concern that I saw people posted was the pro controller clip, how easily it would come detached. And as I mentioned, the 3D printed versions, they did appear to detach pretty easily. Uh, with this version, I've actually found the opposite is true. I have had such a, a hard time getting it to detach. I, I've been concerned I'm going to damage either the controller or the fixture S1 mount itself. So I've come up with a solution. I went into my closet and I dug out my old Launch Pro controller, and now I've just got the fixture S1. It's just permanently attached to that. I'm never going to take it off <laughs> again. That way I don't have to deal with uh, that that strain I feel like I'm putting the plastic under, r- removing it and reattaching it whenever I want to switch between portable play and TV play. Attaching the screen to the mount is not as easy as, you know, whipping off and on the Joy-Cons or some of the other peripherals that are out there, or even uh, the, the flip grip, which I described in a, a previous episode last year. It doesn't fix itself onto the sliders the way the Joy-Cons do. It just grips it very tightly. Uh, it doesn't feel like it, it's going to come loose. It doesn't slide up and down it easily. I have to really work to get it on and off there. But for that very reason, it's not just the smooth motion of just taking your switch and just sliding it on there. Uh, I've got to really work at it. So it's not as convenient to use, which is kind of a problem with portable switch. If you're like me and you take very careful use of your switch when you're playing it portably, make sure it's always in its case when you're not using it you know there's not really a case out there right now designed for the fixture s1 so i I pretty much have to remove the screen from the mount whenever i'm packing it away Uh, it, it just isn't as easy to flip out and use if you're being really anal about how careful you are with your switch the way i am other people might not have that problem if they don't have as many issues as I do with just shoving it in a bag, although my insides scream when I see that happening. But that's my (laughs) issue. (laughs) But when you're using the mount itself, it has a number of movable parts. The screen will slide up and down on the mount, uh, but it keeps a pretty good grip on it. But just for safety, I've always been sliding it all the way down to the very bottom of the Joy-Con attachments. Uh, The screen mount will also rotate up and down on an axis, so you can have it at different angles. And the neck rises up and down, so I could actually fold it down so it's covering the buttons if I wanted to, or just like three quarters of the way up. Different distances for whatever is comfortable for using the buttons on the controller, or just how I'm sitting where I want the screen to be at. Uh, All of these parts, they feel very stiff, which actually I don't mind at all because that means it's sturdy. This is not something that's just going to dissolve into this floppy, worthless mess after a few weeks of use. And there are holes built into the mounts for attaching USB-C to either the screen or to the Pro Controller if they need to be charged. So I don't really have to remove the mount if I don't want to. How I feel about the overall product is I'm still going to use Joy-Cons for some games and situations, but I appreciate having this as an option, similar to the flip grip. So it's like when I'm playing my pinball games or when I'm playing like a a shmup or if I'm playing a game like Downwell, I like to play those games with my flip grip. That way I can play the game in, in rotate mode with the screen in portrait format. Now this gives me more options still when I'm playing portably. Uh, As I complained about the Joy-Cons, they're not great for playing first-person shooters or twin-stick shooters. In the past week, I've spent many hours playing Duke Nukem 3D and Borderlands 2, and I feel like my skill has gone up considerably compared to how I played with the Joy-Cons. I think this is a great product. Unfortunately, right now it's only available from their Indiegogo page, which I'm not even going to bother saying the link out loud because it's just going to be a long line of random letters. Use Google, uh, Indiegogo (laughs) Fixture S1, and it'll come up. Uh, I do recommend this. I hope it goes into mass production and they start selling it on Amazon. 
because uh, right now they're just selling them in batches of 48 on their Indiegogo page. But I think this could really be a, a big product for uh, Switch peripherals if <laughs> if it takes off. I recommend it. Nice. Uh, I like that. Um, not sure if I'd use it. I've never really had any problems with the Joy-Cons and first-person shooters. Like, I played Doom that way. I played uh, Wolfenstein 2 in handheld and didn't really have a problem. Yeah, like, I, I even um, won a few matches of Fortnite playing that way. I, don't ask me how, but I did. <laughs> but I, I feel much more confident and comfortable playing this way. This is always how I'm going to play shooters portably now, is is this way. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Let's move on. Uh, so something I've been playing this week has been Chroma Squad. Uh, my idea was when I finished Mutant Year Zero, I was just going to focus solely on XCOM 2. I've sort of hit a difficulty hump in that again, so I'm just taking a break from it so I can rethink it. But Chroma Squad uh, is also a turn-based strategy game, uh, well, strategy RPG. I've appreciated how light it is in comparison to things like Mutant Year Zero and XCOM, which can be a bit heavy in their themes and tone. Uh, so let me ask you, are you two like, lapsed Power Ranger fans or anything? Oh, I wasn't allowed to watch it. <laughs> what? Apparently too violent. <laughs> what do you mean, lapsed? <laughs> Fair. Go, go, Power Rangers. So f- for me, I was in school when this took off, and I was probably too old for it then, but I still watched it, and it was a thing that me and one of my cousins uh, bonded over uh, until we grew up and went our separate ways, as families do. Chroma Squad is basically a Power Rangers simulator. The genre for Power Rangers is called Super Sentai. It's, like, melodramatic. It's always, like, high-tech ninjas against enemies. There's usually... You know, giant robots that join join together from smaller robots, and there's big battles. Uh, Chroma Squad is that, but as a turn-based strategy RPG. Uh, it even has inspired by Haim Saban's Power Rangers as its strapline, possibly a legal thing, uh, so they don't get sued, because everything about this is Power Rangers. Uh, so the story in this game is uh, charming and funny. Uh, you start off the the main characters are stunt actors on an existing Super Sentai show and they become disillusioned at the director's decision making, they think he's boring and uh, no spectacle for the fans so they decide to to quit and branch out and make their own show so they start their own indie show called Chroma Squad uh, one of the cast's uncles has a spare warehouse so they use that and then they find what is like the Zordon replacement he's called Cerebro which is an X-Men reference, of course. <laughs> uh, uh, and this whole warehouse thing kind of leads into some business management stuff that happens in between uh, the levels. This is an 8-bit or 16-bit isometric strategy RPG. Uh, the fights are basically the actors filming each episode, which is a, a cool thing. Mechanically, I have some issues with it, like selecting the squares is finicky because the cursor has... It's like free, but it has like a loosely magnetic effect to the squares. So if you're trying to rush to finish a fight, it's really easy to snap to the wrong square and leave all your planning wasted because you've just completely whiffed your movement. So I, I've had lots of instances where I've had my team in perfect place for a finisher on a boss and then just messed up the last one and had to wait another turn or just completely ruined that and had less rewards because my fans weren't as satisfied (laughs) Uh, stuff I'll get into shortly as with all good turn-based games you get skills uh, which your characters kind of level up with each chapter as the story progresses and then you get to pick one of like two or three skills that you can use which expands your tool set. The games play out, there's some teamwork elements, you know the Power Rangers are a team, like the whole theme is to beat the odds, they come together and work together so like Mario plus Rabbids, you can use the teamwork button to help increase your movement range. So one of your team will act as like a a platform for someone else to jump a further distance. Uh, unlike Mario Rabbids, that means they can't be used for that turn. And also using the teamwork button, if you have more than one ranger, I'm just going to call them rangers. If you have one, more than one ranger next to an enemy, 
in teamwork mode and then you have one attack then all of those ones in teamwork mode will attack the enemy uh, and then to do the finisher move which i hinted at before you have to have all five of them around the boss at the same time as you're playing these levels as you're playing the episodes uh, the stuff you do will increase the reaction from your viewers uh, your viewers can be turned into fans and then you f the fans can be converted to money it's a very complicated system and there's a whole lot of maths that i haven't looked at behind it because i suck at maths so if you do a finisher move too early on the boss and it doesn't beat the boss your viewers aren't going to be very happy and you'll get less rewards so there's there's all this sort of stuff to keep in mind as well uh you can get more rewards by doing mini mini challenges which are like uh director's uh wishes uh, it's the wrong term, I forgot to write down the correct one. These things could be like missions like rescue the civilian within three turns, or defeat all the minions before finishing the boss, or even vice versa, I've had don't let any of your rangers go below 50% health, and all of these things will help give you more money come the end of the mission. So yeah, so you can hurt and boost your viewership in a, a number of ways. Uh, the fans is actually like a currency itself behind the scenes, uh, so you use them for some of the business management side. So in between levels, you'll uh, buy things to give benefits to your team, so like you can give them healthcare, and then they'll have more health each battle. You can increase the size of your studio, you can get uh, like training things, a better green screen, and each of these things have different benefits, but each costs a certain amount of your resources, which is your fans. You can also hire like an agent to help you promote stuff, and you said like you can do it by episode or, or a longer contract, and you pay them basically to give you extra multipliers in, in other areas. Can I just say that, you know, giving your staff healthcare costs you fans is such a 2020 statement. Yeah. It's <laughs> such a video gamey statement as well. <laughs> Let your staff die a preventable disease. Give us our show. To be fair, I, I mean, I don't think Neil Druckmann's played this. To be fair. So. <laughs> uh, moving on. Uh, mm. So with this, you can actually recruit the people that play your rangers, and they're actually actors that you hire, and each one of those will have their own stats and benefits that they can bring to the team. Uh, it's it's really cool. I think the systems don't work in as tight a harmony as something like XCOM. Like I, everything feels lighter and more friendlier, and like I don't feel like I'm going to be punished for making certain choices, like I absolutely do in XCOM. It's been a nice experience to bounce off something that's like dark and heavy and play something a bit more lighthearted. Uh, the humor itself, most of it is like really smartly written. It's charming. It's funny. Like they're clearly fans of Power Rangers and and this whole genre. Some of it, annoyingly though, is just memes or pop culture references. Like uh, one of the bosses is literally just the pop up pirate, you know, from the board game. Do you have that in America? Um, pop up pirate. Yeah, it's it's like a pirate in a barrel, and you stamp swords in, and then if you get the wrong one, he'll, he'll shoot out of the top, and you lose. I'm sure we have some version of that, but you, that, that's not something you should ask me about. <laughs> I <laughs> I don't know. Some of the other bosses are hilarious. So like the boss design sort of reflects the nature of the the company being a startup. So like the first boss is literally a guy in cardboard boxes. Uh, the, <laughs> there's one that's a Mickey take of Reader Repulsa, and they're in like a traffic cone hat and their stuff is a, a stoplight and you know it's a there's all lots of plays on like where your company starts as well uh the one thing i didn't mention actually is you do get uh, a mecha at the end of the the first chapter I'm not sure how i feel about this it's it's kind of it's kind of like a uh, like a skill-based game so the mecha will drop in the enemy will grow to full size and then to use your attacks you've basically got to time them right on a meter you know, where you've got the long meter and there's like a green section, you've got to get the thing in there when you do your attack. It's just kind of like that. It doesn't really fit in with the, the strategy uh, emphasis of the rest of the game. I, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm sort of at the s getting towards the end of the second chapter uh, uh, and I'm hopeful that sort of evolves a little bit. It just sort of feels out of place compared to the rest of the game. I, I wish it was more strategy focused and like action focused and it's not even that interesting an action. But overall, enjoying this a lot. Uh, it's funny. I, I don't feel like it's going to be super punishing. 
Um, although I have had a couple of sticky situations in, in combat. Um, and I, I love the way uh, how a lot of the humor sort of weaves in with the nature of the narrative and, you know, it being like an indie show that they started. And yeah, it, it all ties together pretty, pretty nicely. Uh, so I'll keep you posted as that. I don't think it's a very long game. Uh, certainly nothing compared to XCOM or uh, Mutant Year Zero and its DLC combined. So yeah, I'll keep you posted and let you know how that turns out. Okay, Tori, you yes. have been playing a lot, but you have been checking out Min Min in Smash. Yes. Um, do, do they fit in well? Yes, but with a but. <laughs> They're very unique in terms of Smash fighters. Typical smash would be the A button would be just like general melee attacks, and then the B button would be your special attacks. Mm-hmm. Because of the gimmick of arms, they're both kind of just melee attacks. Okay. Um, a is left arm and B is right arm. Or can't remember which is which exactly. But yeah, basically, y- you can even shoot the arms off in different directions. So. Um, <laughs> She, she's a total zoner. She's all about pushing people away from her and kind of keeping them away. Like even her grab range is just insane. <laughs> but yeah, um, if you haven't really played arms before, the general gist is that everybody has springy arms and they kind of, I think they design the characters by their pick, like a theme for the arm and then base a character around it. Mm-hmm. And Min Min is noodles so her arms are noodles (laughs) (laughs) even like the whole design of her she's got like a beanie on that looks like a ramen bowl and then noodle hair coming down (laughs) i think she's the producers of uh of arms it's his favorite character and specifically requested min min when sakurai asked who should i put in because everyone thought it was going to be spring man who's like the poster boy right yeah, I've, I found it odd that Sakurai's like, oh, there's no protagonist. And it's like, that's because there's no story mode. And that's one of the things that put me off playing hmm. ARMS. I really hope that an ARMS 2 has like a proper narrative, like a proper story mode. Because they do all this world building and don't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean it's Overwatch? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Cheap shot. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's really not that far off. Uh-huh. Uh, one thing I do like with Smash, though, is, like you've said, uh, you know, they, it has a, a button for each arm, which kind of feels like what they're going for in arms itself. Uh, I really like how they always try and do an element of the original game's mechanics when they bring a character over. Exactly, yeah. And, and they've done a good job with that, too. Because you can swap arms mid-battle, which you can't do in arms. But in Smash, the right arm, you can switch between the Ram Ram, the Megawatt, and the Dragon. And they all have different properties to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Dragon's on all the, the key art that I've seen. Yeah, well, the, the Dragon is her permanent left arm. So she you can't change that one. Okay. But that's because the gimmick in arms, in the base game, if you get a grab or you charge up her arm turns from noodles into a dragon and it just it's like a permanent buff like it stays charged until she gets knocked down and they've kept that for smash and i was really hoping for that because out of all of the the characters that have different um properties to them in arms i think this is the one that translates best to smash because of that and the fact that min min's also known for her kicks no oh, okay hmm because uh, a light tap of a button will kick instead of throwing out an arm in uh, Smash. And her kicks are actually used as a deflect in arms as well as Smash, which is... It's an attention to detail that I actually wasn't expecting. I was expecting the kicks, but not the reflect. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you can tell that Sakurai, like, with all of these third-party characters and even the first-party characters, he's trying to translate the character as best as you can from the original game to the to smash yeah i think they do a really good job of that on the whole even someone like cloud brings across a bunch of you know final fantasy themed things um i did see some people hypothesizing that min min would 
have uh, alternate costumes being the other characters, but it doesn't sound like they're that interchangeable, which makes sense to me. Yeah, her first four outfits are the same as arms, so they're just mm-hmm. general palette swaps. The other four, I was trying to figure out who they would have been. I thought there would have been other characters, but I can't really make any direct comparisons. Hmm. So I think they're just team color based. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, because I I've, I haven't played Smash for ages, um, I've made sure I've downloaded all the updates, and I, I did have the first Fighter Pass and, and barely played any of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is annoying because. You know, Joker's mm-hmm. in there, and I'm a big Persona 5 fan. I, I would want to play that. Uh, this is the first of Pack 2, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. And so it answers a lot of questions on their kind of approach for this second lot of DLC as well. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people were interested the fact that Min Min was already a spirit in the game. Mm. How yeah, they approach that? Because usually when there's a spirit announced or you know like a season they do i i always automatically just disregard them as a possibility to be a fighter so that that probably does open up things again yeah well she's got two spirits now the original one and one in brackets fighter Mm. so and speaking of the spirits they usually do a dlc spirits board for all of the releases so it's like um themed fights basically and they just reused a whole bunch of the original spirits for this spirit board. Okay. So I think there's only like four or five new fights, which felt a bit like a jip. Hmm. And they left out like five characters that they could have had spirits for as well. So, hmm. who knows? Oh, it might be a good time as any. Do, do we have any predictions as to who we think might be the next fighter? Oh, I don't know if it's the next fighter, but I'm really hoping for Rex and Pyra from Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I think that'd be a good fit. I'm surprised that one hasn't happened already. Yeah. And if not them, come on, Doom Guy. <laughs> the, the, there's always the uh, the bloody nature of his franchise that, you know, makes everyone doubt that. I always thought they would have a, a Samus uh, Doom Guy colour scheme or something. That would be cool. Um, yeah. I'm convinced at some point Steve from Minecraft is going to be in this damn game. In some capacity, <laughs> for sure. Steve from Borderlands. <laughs> hey <Hey-o. laughs> <laughs> Or I would love to see like Master Chief, given like Nintendo and Microsoft's uh, relationship the at the moment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, they've had a, a spot in, like, Dead or Alive before, so it's it's not outside the realms of possibility, although that was a, a Microsoft exclusive. That time. was also a really weird way, because they tried to make it half canon as well. Yeah. They're like, oh, it's not Master Chief, it's Nicole, and she's she's a real Spartan from Halo, and she just happened <laughs> to go through it. The, there are um, women Spartans in the books, Oh, there's women's so, Spartans in um, yeah. Halo 5. Yeah. Yeah, and in uh, Reach. Yes. Yes, of course. Because I, yeah, I remember everyone being surprised that there was a gender-swapped Master Chief. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, we're off topic now. So, uh, Min Min, thumbs up for you so far. Strong start to the Fighters Pass number two. Definitely. Uh, she takes some time to get used to. She's a very complicated character, but great rep uh andrew did you get the fighters pass too no i mean i i still hadn't even played as biolith i haven't even booted the game up to, <laughs> to try biolith out i probably will get it at some point but i was spending enough money this month already and i'm going to be spending a, a lot of money in july too you know we'll see what the next character is it's got to be a character i'm going to be excited for because i was not excited for midman if they put out somebody i want to play as i'll probably get the fighters pass even though there's still really nothing left in smash for me to do <laughs> so that's the main reason i'm not even playing anymore even with uh, like blyleth even people that love uh, fire emblem three houses were disappointed by that so. <laughs> yeah, i know i was yeah. i was like of all the characters you could have picked from that game that's who you're all with the, i still have the- a theory that they brought byleth from fighters pass 2 to 1 
Like they, mm. they had there's something big coming in Fighters Pass Two that was originally meant to be in Byless, but that's my <laughs> my theory. That's a good theory. I like it. It's optimistic. <sighs> okay, so we'll we'll leave the Smash talk there. Uh, so the final thing we're going to talk about this week is Andrew. You've been playing a a platformer called Sydney Hunter and the Curse of the Mayan. How's that been? Sydney Hunter and the Curse of the Mayan is a 2D retro platformer. It's the fourth in a series of wow. games starring this Sydney Hunter character. Yeah, I'd never heard of it either. Uh, I was very surprised when I was doing some background reading on it and found out that this is not the first game uh, starring this character. Uh, the, the other ones, near as I can tell, are based on older platformers one of them is actually included in this game uh as a little bonus game that you can play near the end and it plays a lot like pitfall (laughs) it's got a pedigree of uh really aping classic platformers but the series and this game in particular stars Sidney hunter who is an indiana jones clone Uh, he's a geologist instead of an (laughs) archaeologist that's the main difference uh but He's got the look, you know, he, he's dressed in khakis, he's got a pith helmet instead of a fedora, uh, but he's got a whip. I mean, it's Indiana Jones. <laughs> and at the outset of this game, he's exploring the jungles of Central America, and he comes across a Maya pyramid, and he goes inside of it and starts exploring a temple. And concurrent with this, the Maya god Kukulkan breaks into the pyramid and breaks the hob calendar which is that famous giant circular Uh. calendar that you so often see in mayan culture he breaks it and frees that face in the middle of that calendar and that face is actually kinich ahau who is the sun god and kinich ahau when he's freed from this calendar which is also his prison brings about the end of the world by freezing time and Sydney Hunter wouldn't you know it is the one who is prophesized as the outsider who arrives at this temple to stop this from happening playing as Sydney Hunter you go from temple to temple inside this pyramid defeating Maya gods like Chalk the Rain God and I should have written all these gods' names down, but there's a, another god of maize uh, or corn. And that plays out sort of like Mega Man in a mm. way. Uh, but the game structure itself is really much more like Super Mario 64 because you're going through all these levels and each level is gated by a currency that you're gathering in each level called Crystal Skulls. There are different numbers hidden in each temple and you need... 10 to get through one door you need 50 to get through another door to get into the last level you need 100 but there's even more crystal skulls than that if you're going for 100 percent completion and you can also unlock new abilities such as the ability to breathe underwater and new weapons so that way you're not just stuck with your whip you also have a spear you can throw and a boomerang once i got the spear that was really all i used (laughs) and then there are health upgrades that you can find and inventory items like healing potions that will restore sydney's health Uh, it's a pretty standard game you know it's not groundbreaking in any way it doesn't try to really explore anything new it just tries to be a good example of these kind of games Uh, and i enjoyed it i didn't dislike it but i I did feel the platforming was kind of sluggish and the weapons we're pretty slow, and, you know, this is an Indiana Jones ripoff, so it carries a lot of Indiana Jones baggage with it. They try to avoid caricatures of the Maya characters, I think, by updating their personalities. They have very modern personalities and this meta sense of humor. Like, the first item you get in the game is this blue shell that is supposed to have magic powers so you can understand any language. But one of the guys you talk to actually reveals that they're just screwing with you and we're just speaking gibberish until you found this shell because <laughs> they thought it would be funny. Uh, and they also break the fourth wall a lot. There's another character who talks about the title of the game. He's like, the proper title of this game should be The Curse of the Maya, but we thought people wouldn't understand that, so we called it The Curse of the Mayan instead, which I was a little confused by because I, I didn't realize there was a lot of misunderstanding <laughs> over what the uh, adjectival form of Maya is, Maya versus mm-hmm. Mayan. But anyway, it works. You know, basically they're just 
smart-ass Americans, but I, the result is that they erased the culture, basically. Mm-hmm. It's a Mega Man game with Maya gods, all their names stapled onto the bosses. Uh, it's unfortunate. I think they could have done a lot more to really portray this culture, uh, but they didn't. Uh, this is another cheap game that I got, but it's a pretty decent length game. I think it was about 10 hours for me to finish the whole thing. There's a lot worse out there. Uh, I do recommend it in the end, but it's not a strong recommendation. Nice. Okay, what are we playing this uh, coming week? Tori, we'll start with you. Uh, well, I just bought Paper Mario Origami King with the um, the vouchers thing. Oh, yeah. So that I could finally get Pocket. So, <sighs> um, finally playing that after waiting for a sale. I like Pocket. Yeah, played it on Wii U. Yeah. I liked it. I want to play it again. That was one of the earliest games we covered on the podcast, yeah. I think. What, episode two or something? Maybe. Yeah, yeah wow. <laughs> good game. <laughs> it will be interesting to revisit. Yeah, yeah good sure. game. You've got your uh, Mario, Paper Mario all locked in and pre-ordered. Yeah, I was umming and ahhing. Do I want to get that one now or do I want to get Catherine maybe? But I think Pock and, and Paper Mario, good combo. Nice. Good choice. My, my problem with Catherine is I can never tell whether people think it's trash or great. They think it's great yeah, trash. That's like, it. <laughs> pe- people are either like happy with how it portrays things or just angry at how it portrays things. I can never tell... There is some questionable stuff in it, I will admit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and because it's uh, Atlas, it's got that Persona art style and story. I think it's got Persona style music story, in it too. Persona music, yeah. That's, it plays Joker. Yeah, I, I kind of want to look at it, but we'll see how I go for time. Andrew, what are you playing this week? Uh, there's a 16-bit retro action RPG crosscode. is coming out Thursday. And then Friday, there's an 8-bit retro platformer. Uh, please tell me if you get sick of me talking about retro indie <laughs> games. Uh, the sequel to Bloodstained Curse of the Moon, creatively titled Bloodstained Curse of the Moon 2, is out. I'll be playing that one as well. Nice, that's the 8-bit precursor to Ritual of the Night. Yeah, the, the Kickstarter stretch goal that wound up being a much better game than the actual game that the Kickstarter was making. The the name Bloodstain still can't help but bring bile to my mouth. I haven't forgiven it yet. Yeah, but you liked Curse of the Moon. I did. You should play this game, I Andy. Did. And I would have liked Ritual of the Night, but it kept spitting all over that. But anyway. Uh, I have no idea what I'm playing. I'm just going to pick something from the backlog i'm going to certainly strive to finish chroma squad um and i'm just hanging out for paper mario now at this point not uh, long now i think we're all just just waiting for something new to yeah. come out <laughs> just, just anything i think this is what the rest of the year is going to be like we're going to have to play old games we're just we're going to have to and that's fine there's there's a lot that goes under the radar because of big releases so i'm, I'm sure we'll manage uh but yeah that's that's about it So that's it for episode 118. Uh, thank you for listening to Enfocus. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. You can also listen on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Uh, make sure to check out our sister shows. We're all part of the game Podular Network. Uh, we have PlayState, who are just about to launch a, another episode. Uh, they focus on PlayStation. We've got the Power of X, who we also focus on Xbox-related stuff, as if you couldn't tell from the name. Uh, be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Game Podular community. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links for all this are in the show notes. If you want to support Game Podular as a network, you can buy us a coffee or become a Game Podular Patreon. Uh, we're just using it as like a, a tips jar at the moment. There's no uh, gated content or anything, but you know we're, we're working on ideas for for things to reward people in the future. Uh, details for both of those things are also on our website. Uh, this episode was edited by Andrew Brown. Take a bow. Bow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if you want to follow the three panelists individually on Twitter, you can do so. I'm at Flame Roast Toast. Andrew is at Play Critically. And Tori is at Stew2. That's S T W T W O.
circular, yeah, <laughs> circular, 